Hello and welcome to the We Are Habs podcast, the show that lifts the lid on some of the old girls and boys who, after leaving haberdashers, have made their mark on the world. I'm Elliot Gotkin, Meadows, 87 to 94. I'm a journalist, master of ceremonies and host of the FinTech podcast. My guest today is a doctor specialising in digital health. She's one of Vogue magazine's 10 rising female stars. She's an advocate for women in science and medicine and host of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast. She currently works with a health tech company specializing in chronic pain. Dr. Marla Malkin, welcome to the We Are Habs podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's a real, it's a real pleasure to be on. Likewise, I'm happy to, to speak to a doctor since I've got COVID right now and I'm in quarantine myself, although I know it's not your area of expertise, but how are things where you are right now? Oh, I'm so sorry that you've got COVID. I hope that you, I hope you feel better soon and get out of that quarantine as quickly as possible. Um, but um, um, yeah, everything is good in my end. I'm just kind of on that. We're recording just after uh, New Year's, so I'm just on that like <laughs> that downwards of relaxing after the Christmas break, which you think would be relaxing, but actually you kind of need a bit of relaxing after Christmas. <laughs> yeah, always need a holiday from uh, after a holiday. Um, <laughs> I didn't have uh, time to read out all the um, strings to your bow uh, in the introduction there, but uh, so, I mean, if someone just kind of said to you, so, you know, what, what is it that you do? What, what would your kind of, you know, main reply be? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, it's, I mean, my personal mission is all about uh, improving healthcare inequalities using technology. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, and I've just done that through a variety of different ways and I've got so much more to do. Well, you know, we see you've got the podcast, you've got the, you know, you, you're obviously a doctor as well. You work for a health tech company. Um, so, I mean, which of these kind of takes up most of your time? Which one, which, which one of these do, do you enjoy the most? Or are they all kind of, kind of synergistic and kind of all necessary to help, uh, help you enjoy or make progress with the other? Yeah, I mean, so I'm full time at Lever Clinic, so I've been there for about two years now. Um, I joined when it was just a couple of people in the team, and now we've got, you know, um, we're just growing in numbers, and it's really exciting. And um, that's my full time job. So we launched the UK's first online pain clinic, and um, we've gone on to partner with Boots, different NHS trusts, and really deliver and um, and scale up pain services nationwide. But as you're saying there, I think a lot of my work is is about providing just a bit of insight into what healthcare in the future is going to look like, and and pushing the agenda a bit more forward to to. Um, to leaders and um, and making sure that the people that are actually leading this this um, this challenge is a diverse bunch as well. So, I sit on an advisory board for a few different things, including one of them being the Ideas Foundation, which I absolutely love, and that's all about getting young people into the creative, into the um, technology industries. And then I um, sit on an editorial board for a journal looking at digital health, and also I'm part of the council for the Royal Society of Medicine. Digital Health Council, where I host the podcast as well. So, I mean, there's a few different things happening, but I think um, all of it is really on the agenda of this needs to happen and it needs to happen soon. We need to be democratising healthcare a lot more and we need to be giving that control back into the power of the patients. And you mentioned digital health. I'll try and kind of come to some of those other things in just a moment. But uh, things that the uh, this this online uh, telehealth uh, startup that you work for, one imagines that the last two years have been 
you know, not, not that you planned it or necessarily wanted it to happen that way, but it must have been a massive boon because, uh, you know, digital health has just gone through the roof, hasn't it? And you know what, it's such a good point that you make. The big thing is trust. I think there was a lot of lack of trust as to can you do healthcare online before COVID pandemic started? And then the forced, we were all forced to go online. And then very quickly you realize actually it does still work. And sometimes it, it delivers better outcomes because you're actually doing behavioral change in your own home. I mean, if you look back to how we used to do um pay management programs and, and still in some places we still do in the NHS, you would go to the hospital, you'd learn about all of these fantastic ways and methods to manage your pain, you'd go back home and change nothing because it wasn't applicable to you and you couldn't really understand how to put it into your normal day to day. But now we can really embed behavioural change in your own homes because you're sitting there and let's say your goal is to garden, you can pick up that laptop whilst you're on the phone to a physiotherapist and show the walk you take down to the garden and show the steps and, you know, and, and you're bending over and what the challenges are or, um, you know, everything becomes a lot more local and it becomes something that actually can make some really big impact. So yeah, it's been a really fun journey, but it's a shame that I had to have a pandemic to do this as well. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, as well as digital health, uh, one other thing, which I guess may or may not be related, you can tell me, uh, and which has also been, uh, you know, gaining ground of late is, is the use of uh, of cannabis in, in, in a medical context. I actually worked a little bit in, in Tel Aviv for a uh, for a cannabis medical cannabis startup that's uh, developed the world's first uh, inhaler that can deliver a kind of measured dose of, of cannabis wow. uh, to help treat pain. Um, I'm just wondering, is that, is that something you're now kind of able to? Uh, I guess mainly in the UK, perhaps able to to give your um, to give your patients. Is it something that they want? Is it something that's uh, for the future? We need to go for a coffee offline about this. I'd love to hear all about your work because that is, you know, really, really spot on. Cannabis is um, a medicine of last resort here in the UK, to put it into perspective. In 2018, the government guidelines changed to be able to, for a specialist to be able to prescribe medical cannabis. There's been a handful, I'm talking maybe five prescriptions for unlicensed medical cannabis that have been written on the NHS. Um, it's all really a private market. And um, for patients, they're paying for that consulting appointment and then they're doing uh, their follow-ups and then they've got to pay privately for their medicines as well. So in July last year, we joined a project called Project 2021 which delivers a subsidized cost of medicines and this observational research project to look at cannabis um, and we are specifically obviously looking at chronic pain. So we've got some patients going through our clinic who we think might be eligible for the treatment. And um, I sorry, I dropped you foster. <laughs> uh, so we've got some patients that are, we think uh, might be eligible for treatment of medical cannabis. And what we do is we will um, assess their eligibility. We'll get them to speak with one of our consultants and then prescribe them either an oil-based product or a flower-based product at the moment, um, because that's what is the majority of the UK is what's prescribed. Right. Okay. Uh, interesting stuff. And, and I mean, you mentioned the podcast, uh, which is the Royal Society of Medicine Digital Health Podcast Series. I think in 2020, you were the, the kind of in the top 10 of medicine uh, related podcasts on Apple, been listened to uh, more than 10,000 times in over 95 countries, which believe it or not, is even more people and countries than listen to the We Are Habs podcast. Um, <laughs> what, what exactly uh, do you, uh, is it kind of you, you interviewing other uh, doctors? Is it patients? Is it kind of talking about new technologies? Uh, what, what, what is it about? 
Great question again. I think it's all about um, engaging the next generation of healthcare leaders uh, in a way that kind of takes takes the information to them. Traditionally, this was all very much held in um, in forums, which were a select group of people could have the luxury to go to. For example, the Royal Society of Medicine put on fantastic events for digital health. Um, but you look at the room and um, there's only a set amount of people that can fit in it. And then no one else really gets to understand that fantastic knowledge that's being shared there. So what we did was we trialed doing videos after it, you know, putting them up, but people weren't really engaging. So what we did is pick the people that were speaking at some of these events and interview them after or people that are linked to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council. And what we found is, is that if you can do a bite-sized kind of interview of maybe 15, 20 minutes and get that real, you know, the the grassroots of what they were trying to say um, and and share it widely, people really engage with it because they get to see that snapshot of that really intricate information that they would have seen at the conferences. Okay. And, uh, you know, as, as anyone listening to uh, this podcast will know, um, you know, Habs, there's a, it's got its fair share of, of high flyers um where, where do you yourself get your drive from because uh, or even find the time to do all the things that you're doing it's funny you should say that because i remember one of my friends um in sixth form so i was at habs for since i was like five years old and i stayed there till i was 18 and i remember in sixth form one of my friends um got everyone to do a personality quiz and it turned out it was something crazy. Like the majority of us were all the exact same personality type of like the same that Obama is um, on the Myers-Briggs. And so it was like, a, you know, something that is um, very passionate and driven young girls. Um, and that it turned out. And I think that that has really been one of the core cool things for me anyway, has been what I learned at school and the people that you surround yourself with. Um, I always say that Habs for me, gave you know the knowledge and the insights and the teaching is one thing and the extracurriculars is one thing but the people you surround yourself with and you grow up with really shapes who you are and I look around at my cohort and I'm sure you do the same right and they go on to achieve incredible things and you just help each other to achieve more and to to break down boundaries and barriers and if you've got any obstacles there's always someone that can help you um so yeah always really grateful for that and how much, I mean, you talked about it being, you know, the people you surround yourself with and also to a degree kind of what you got from Habs itself, but how much of this, of this drive and determination to succeed and, and, you know, be on this mission of yours uh, to democratise, you know, access to healthcare and everything else, how much of that is kind of innate uh, rather than, a, I guess, a, a kind of a product of, uh, of the environment and, and Habs and other things that, that you've been surrounded by? I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I have absolutely none because we're all so intertwined by experiences. And, you know, it, I just think it's crazy that Habs was 13 years, maybe more of my life, right? And that in really formative years, hang on, there's another truck. Why are there so many trucks today? Yeah, the deliveries. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's crazy that Habs was 13 years of my life in really formative years. And when you put that into perspective and now when you go through med school and that's six years of my life that I went through there and they're really long times that you're in set institutions surrounded by really really incredible people who really push you and now what my hardest transition was was leaving that kind of uh, cylinder of energy that you get to have when you're in a when you're surrounded by people and you're in an institution 
So when I left Imperial, um, it was the first time that I'd really stepped away in about, you know, almost 20 years of uh, institutions that were giving me drive. And then to find that personal drive after that, I think is actually quite difficult for a lot of people. I think um, that I did a TED talk actually about this um, when I had, because I left like a traditional medicine career. And um, I always say that one of the biggest transitions I had to make was being um, putting my self-worth on my external achievements, because that's always what it was, right? It's always your grades and um, which uni you went to and then what grades you got at uni and then where you ended up working, etc. And then trying to find that intrinsic self-motivation and happiness and contentment. Um, so I think it's a mixture, but I wouldn't have one way out the other. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, being uh, ten days in quarantine with COVID, uh, one uh, one looks for self motivation wherever <laughs> one can find it. Um, but being at Habs itself, were, were you much of a were you much of a scientist? Were you a bit of a kind of science uh, spod? Uh, yes, I mean, I um, I think well, I had um, when I was about fourteen or fifteen applied for a science. Uh, competition which was highlighted to all of us in our year and it was a space competition and we had to come up with a video about what we wanted the future of space flight to look like etc anyway I applied with the help of my teacher Miss Percy who was just fantastic and she was in the physics department at the time and then um I went down to Farnborough Air Show, like you imagine, I'm a 15 year old girl at Farnborough Air Show, it was amazing. And then they told me I'd won. And I was so surprised because you always put yourself out there where you're at house, right? You always just try things. And then to win something like that was magnificent for me because my prize was to go to NASA for two weeks. So I was flown out, I got to uh, go to Texas, to Florida, um, meet astronauts. Uh, it was just amazing. And then from that, um, just more opportunities came. So I became more of a science geek and space geek as the years went on because more doors were opening. Um, and that, yeah, that was, that was really me. And you never wanted to be an astronaut after that? I'm actually too short to be an astronaut, Elliot. You have to be 5'2". Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Even in the age, they're heightest. I know. <laughs> well, I think they made the suit in a certain size, but like, you never say never, but um not yeah not for me right now I'm actually very happy in my in my house in in the midlands in the countryside <laughs> you'd have thought that the smaller the person you know like jockeys they prefer smaller jockeys because they're lighter to ride on the horses so you'd fit in a smaller capsule anyway but I, exactly. I'm intrigued to know because I was going to ask you about this uh, space uh, competition because uh, I know you won a number of awards and this was I guess the most uh, significant ones um and I think uh, I have it uh, in my notes that you were uh, the, the task was to dream up an amazing digital adventure, a flight of imagination about your own space trip. Uh, what what was this kind of space trip that you imagined? What what was it that uh, you actually put down in your application as your kind of visualization for your space trip? Can you remember? The only time I normally get this out is when I'm like deep into drinks in the evening and someone's like, "Oh, let's take the mick out of Marla now." So I. <laughs> Like, I would need to take everything I say with a pinch of salt because it was like 10 years ago or more. And like, it was in the, I want you to think back, it was in the webcam days where everyone was using their webcam to film silly, silly videos before Snapchats and phones. So I, um, 
I'd see a video of like an astronaut zipping themselves into a sleeping bag and then I would replicate it myself in my own living room. And then they would like throw um, treats in the air and catch it in their mouth because of zero gravity. And I would do exactly the same, but put it in slow-mo. So it was like a really, really cringe-worthy, embarrassing video. But scattered into it was some science. So it was like, what will spaceflight look like and what are the different theories? Um, and then a lot of clips of me in the background just doing silly astronaut stuff on Earth. Is, is, that, is that on YouTube now? Can we find that? I've made it unlisted, so <laughs> please don't dig out. Okay, so if anyone's watching, you'll have to do some serious digging to uh, try and find <laughs> that out. But uh, did any of your predictions come to pass? Do you... Yeah, I predicted everything. So yeah, anyone can give me a job. That's absolutely great. And in the, in the science, I'll be an astronaut happily. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's still it's still heading that way. I think that there's so much to do within the space and It's exciting to see. I actually went to for three months. I was working as an intern in Cologne in Germany at the European Space Agency. Um, and that was back in 2017, I want to say. And that was magnificent. I mean, like they were talking about what are the challenges of of setting up somewhere to live on on the moon on mars and on on, a, on astronauts bodies what do we need to look at and my specific project was looking at glucose tolerance in astronauts so if you were going to send you know to put it simply if you're going to send astronauts to mars are they going to develop diabetes um and that was kind of i was looking at uh, at retrospective data of the shuttle missions etc and looking at some of their glucose levels so yeah, I loved it. I love the space stuff. It's so fun. And I got to go to like parties with astronauts, which um, I was told I wasn't allowed to be a um, a groupie for, but you can't really hold in the excitement. Right. But I guess they knew you weren't one of them just because of the height difference. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we've got time to go into the hows or whys uh, diabetes might be more prevalent among astronauts going to Mars, but uh, uh, you, you think we'll end up uh, there? I mean, Elon Musk, uh, you know, wants to relocate humanity there at some point. Is that something you think is uh, going to happen? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Right. Well, you've heard it here first. I think we need to pull our fingers out and sort out climate change first. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm happy to go anywhere. So it's all going to be fun. But <laughs> we already had the CEO of the Met Office, uh, uh, an old Habs girl, as well, talking a bit more about climate change. So uh, if anyone's more interested in how that can be sorted out, listen to the uh, to the interview with Penny uh, Endersby. Um, so uh, I mean, you, you talked about. I, I mean, I understand as, as well as being interested in space. I guess now. Now maybe uh, the, the the metaverse or something is that is that something that that you think is uh, going to be big? Are you in there? Have you been building stuff? Have you got some real estate in there? I um, well, it's it's funny you say that. I mean, I think that um, blockchain, as we know, has been something that's been talked about in healthcare for ages. Healthcare records. How can we make this safer? How can we um, how can we share data and medical records in a better way? Um, but what we're seeing within the rise of NFTs and and the metaverse and or Facebook's announcement is a, a kind of a few things. We've got you know the rise of virtual reality and augmented reality for treatments, um, and what we were saying before about behavioural change and making it fun, making healthcare engaging. I mean that's all really ramping up. Being able to monitor and and analyse data and have remote monitoring and virtual wards. It's all getting there. 
but one of the big things for me um and something i started but so i started buying some nfts as i'm sure most people in the world have now but um it's about that community building so about if you are creating a decentralized uh you know network of people who are interested in a certain thing for example something about public health in particular um and you're giving everyone ownership within that project do people feel more responsible within that say for example you've got projects starting up like psychedelics anonymous where they're using the money that they're getting from the nfts to actually fund research projects within psychedelic medicines but if we were to take that a step further and to look at like more wider you know public health problems could you get people engaging a lot more because they feel like they're well they are owners they're real owners within it and it's not someone else that will benefit it's them directly that will benefit from it so i think there's loads to come i think there's going to be a really exciting space within healthcare and the metaverse and and all of these things that are happening here but um but we also need the fundamentals of healthcare set up in sounds uh your um yeah the, the the stuff you're looking at in the metaverse seems a lot more uh let's say productive or useful than uh I was just reading the other day about a woman um, selling NFTs of her farts. Or oh, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, where someone had commented they wanted flying cars and uh, you know universal healthcare, and what they got was NFTs of farts in jars. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, try, I'll try and you know uh, raise the tone a, a little bit. Uh, you left Habs in 2013, I think, which was like uh, 16 years after I left. Um, uh, when you were there, I mean, you talked about being surrounded by all of these kind of high achieving uh, uh, young women who kind of personality test wise all seem to kind of have the same kind of, uh, I don't know, drives or uh, determinations um, and expectations. When you were there, did you, were you, was it kind of instilled in you that if you could achieve anything, if you put your mind to it, did, did you feel that maybe you were, I don't know, uh, held back at all? What, 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 what was the sense that you got when you were there? Oh, that's a huge question because at the fundamental, of course, you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. But I think it was more than just Habs doing that. I think it was the fact that you had you had parents who were, you know, your friends' parents. You'd go around to their house, and they would be entrepreneurs. They would be people that had taken big risks. They were people that were showing, you know, not just their children but their friends. Uh, of the of their child how to do xyz skills so you're picking up life skills from not only the school environment that you were in but from the you know the after schools and the weekends and uh, you know all the other things that went alongside it um but yeah i mean like you you, you will always when you're at, that's why i love being there you're always you're always going to have the opportunity to to take on hobbies and to to try out the creative side, which I think has been really instrumental because solving some of these huge challenges like healthcare um, requires a lot of creativity. And so, for example, um, when I was uh, in my later years at Habs, I wanted to set up a um, like a video editing, you know, society or something and do like a Habs video and and we'd play at the end of term assemblies. And we got an Apple Mac computer, which was so cool at the time. And we got, you know, little cameras that we could take and film. And then we got help editing and um, and the teachers got involved. And I think that it was small things like that, which kind of gives you a bit of confidence of, yeah, OK, let me try this out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it works, it's great. Um, and that like being allowed to fail in a really safe space 
was was really instrumental for me. Okay, and uh, you know we've we've discussed we've touched upon some of the many things that that you already do, and I know you said your mission, as as we discussed, is to to democratize uh, healthcare. Uh, what are your future plans right now? Where where are you going to be in I don't know five years, ten years time? Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully not Mars. Um, there, I um, I think for me right now, I'm really, really enjoying what I'm doing, which is you know trying to solve like a really specific problem within healthcare, which is pain. Uh, and looking as we were saying within cannabis-based medicines, within digital tools, um, and getting access out there. So, um, you know that that for me is always going to be something that I really want to continue doing. I think on a, on a wider scale, um, I think the the biggest things is going to be allowing people within the healthcare industry to have that creativity and to free up some time is going to be something that I'm really going to try and champion um, and have already started championing. I think that there are so many problems within healthcare, but one of the problems that we get because of that is that people try and just solve their specific thing. Whereas we need to all take a step back and not do gimmicky you know, small projects, but instead really try and take this on. Um, and unfortunately, we've got a burnt out healthcare workforce right now. They're not able to have the capacity all the time to to um, have a creative lens on how to solve things that they're seeing right in front of them because they're just, you know, heads down working, workforce problems, COVID, pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think um, any time that anyone ever reaches out and says, you know, I've got some ideas, I'd love to talk them through. I'm, I'm just always happy to to do it. So that's kind of where I'm hopefully doing, just helping other people. Um, and um, yeah. And in terms of advice to Habs girls and Habs boys with ambitions of succeeding in sciences uh, and the like, what, uh, what, what would you say to them? Develop a network like ASAP. So get back in touch with your friends that were at Habs or alumni at your uni. But alumni is so good to tap into because you've got that community already established. And so you can create that network a lot better. But the network is the thing that's going to allow you to succeed. Um you know beyond what you could think of because people know people and you know you will be able to very quickly find who you need to to get things done within your professional career so um i'm sure you think the same ellie i mean you're in the in the same kind of world as in, in, in the tech world you know is is networking super important for you as well uh yeah i mean you kind of meet people all the time and I find a lot of my uh, my gigs come my way from you know people recommending me to other people so uh, it's always it's always nice to uh, to know that uh, there are people out there who like what you do and uh, are happy to recommend you uh, to do more of it um but one thing I, I didn't ask you I mean you know we've talked about obviously all the good things and your successes and achievements that has but I didn't ask you at all about uh if there were you know any Naughty things you got up to at school, if you like the work thing you did. <laughs> I, mean, I, I had one detention the whole time I was at school, which was actually much worse than most other people. So I'm just wondering you, what the worst thing you ever did or, or, you know, what got you in the most trouble uh, when you were at Habs? Oh, my gosh. Why Nothing you ask me this? I was there since I was five. Of course, there were some silly things. I was a goody two-shoes for a long, long time, though. So, I I mean, I remember when I was, like, just in year seven, and then I, like, was whispering during assembly, and I had to stand up, and that was, like, the worst thing that had ever happened to me. <laughs> and, and then everyone is staring around you because you're just standing up. But, I mean, then there was... um 
you know, all the stuff you get up to when you're a sixth former and you're pushing the boundaries and you've got muck up day and all of these things. So um, I think we need to go out for a coffee, Elliot. I don't, <laughs> think, I, I don't think I should say everything on here. <laughs> Uh, we we got uh, we we got enough kind of uh, uh, let's say uh, shenanigans from the Felters uh, involving the uh, the gates uh, to the boys' school. And, and, yeah, so I won't push you down that route, um, but I do just have a, a, a final few uh, questions, just in terms of uh, of uh, your time at Habs, which I call the the big asks. Um, so just to summarise, what year did you leave the school? I left two thousand thirteen. And did you enjoy your time there? I loved it. Really, really loved it. And who was uh, the head teacher when you were at Abs? I liked so many. So <laughs> I, mean, I remember Mrs. Penny we had. Um, oh, God, we had too many. But OK, next question. <laughs> OK. Uh, and who were your favourite teachers and what did they teach? Um, they, do you know what? I regret not... Um, you'll probably do it at school you just think the teachers are so far distant from you and they live at school and they breathe at school and that's all they do but actually um, it's not until you leave that you really um, think how much someone has impacted your life Um, I think they were all tremendous Miss Percy obviously was a huge huge um, impact for me giving me the opportunities that they that she did within the science space so yeah, always great. And this, she was a physics teacher, is that right? Yeah, I think she's heading up STEM now, which is amazing. And so, um, she's yeah, she's phenomenal. Okay. And did you interact much with students at the at the boys' school? No, never, ever. <laughs> yeah, no. Of course, he did. But I mean, like, I remember one of the times we had. Um, I had like a Costco. Do you remember the Costco cakes? Those are huge cakes. And we, I worked and we, at Costco for six months in my did year you? Yeah. And we had a Costco cake and it was my birthday. And then the boys came out of their, uh, like they snuck into the field in the girls' school and we had a huge cake bite. And that was, I mean, I remember we were all like trying to get shampoo off each other to try and, because we had to go back to class in the afternoon and we didn't want to teach us now <laughs> but no yeah never talk to the boys next question uh, and have you kept in touch with a lot of uh, old school mates um yeah i mean like it's really easy to keep in touch now with instagram and and facebook and and linkedin and etc but i think um there are some really really solid brands that i've really kept in touch with and i think um those are some people that i was in the same class with from age five upwards so um yeah i mean they're a huge part of my life and just finally, is there a recent accomplishment uh, you care to mention? I know you've got so many that you've got, but uh, any any recent ones that you can uh, share? Uh, does have to be professional. That's <laughs> not. Um, I um, I think my biggest accomplishment, and you're not going to like this answer, but like it's just finding that contentment. So like being able to be really comfortable with with um, with with everything in my life, and 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 just finding that happiness and not trying to chase after it. Um, the, uh, the corporate dream, um, but instead just being really happy. And so, yeah, that's where I am right now. Great. Well, uh, I'm sure we can all uh, agree that being happy is a pretty good thing to be uh, saying right now. When, <laughs> when the plague is, uh, is around us in this way, but uh, I think we're kind of out of time. So I really just want to thank you. Um, Vogue magazine, Top 10 Rising Female Star, Advocate for Women in Science and Medicine, 
host of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast, and also uh, a key uh, player in a digital health uh, startup scene. Um, Dr. Marla Morkin, thank you so much for joining me on the We Are Habs podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, we will be back actually again uh, next time with another celebrated old haberdasher. Hopefully <clears throat> I will be out of quarantine by then. Uh, but we do hope you'll join us again then. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Take care.